today we're going to be discussing a recent translation of an inscription containing the name of a biblical king, the King Hezekiah, in addition to other news stories. Um, but let's start with our first story. Professor says ancient inscriptions prove Old Testament account reflects historical reality. Now, before we get started in this, I want to ask Roger a question, because he's the one that posed this question at the beginning. Does archaeology prove the Bible to be true? Well, we've got to be careful with that, and we opened with that question on purpose, uh, because we want to think about these things very, very carefully. Um, If anything can prove something else is true, then that means that that thing has authority over the other thing. And so if archaeology can prove that the Bible is true, that means that archaeologists and the way we study those things have authority over the Bible to decide what's true in the Bible and what isn't. And so as uh, Christians, we would have to say, no, that's not the way things work. God is the authority. He's the one who's revealed those things to us in Scripture, and we trust his word. By faith, we trust what he's revealed to us, and we can look at the world around us and see how it lines up with all of those other pieces that we find in archaeology, in science, in historical accounts, all of those different pieces. But it's the Word of God that's the ultimate authority in all of those things. So we would say archaeology confirms that the Bible is true, but it doesn't prove it. Okay, So that's just a, a little bit of terminology there, but it's important to understand that. So basically what they found is a palm-sized um, inscription or, or writing that says Hezekiah made the pool in Jerusalem. And so if you've ever um, had the pleasure of traveling to Israel and to Jerusalem, I got to do that. Um, in stop 20- rubbing it in. Yeah. I got to do that it. in 2019 and actually got to walk through Hezekiah's tunnel. Um, it is still there to this day uh, and it's been there since he built it and got water in so that they um, so that they would not have trouble as much trouble with the Assyrians and could still survive. And so you can walk through it. There's still water flowing through it today. And at the very end of it, there is the Pool of Siloam, which it also talks about in here in, with this inscription. This uh, little inscription is very interesting. Uh, there's been debates about finding artifacts like this and how to date them to the right period, how to uh, read the text that's on them, the different forms of the Hebrew script that have been found. And this one has been uh, transcribed by uh, Professor Galil and his colleague Shuk- Eli Shukran. And they've transcribed this and, and dated it to this period so that we've got an 8th century artifact. And we would agree that this lines up well with the dating of Hezekiah from the Bible and the way that those pieces fit together and puts us in that period. We read in Second Kings 20 about this account. And here we have a piece of, of history that really shows us that these events took place. Now, if we never found this tablet, would we doubt that Hezekiah lived? No. No, because we know that he did because it's recorded in scripture for us. Uh, But these are just more confirmations that we find that what scripture tells us us lines up with what we experience in the world around us. And we should expect to find those things and we can, we can predict that we're going to find them, and we find them in the places that we expect to. And that just shows that the Bible is indeed what it, what it claims to be. Yeah, they even mention here that the, the Bible reflects historical reality and not imagination. So even archaeology can help us a lot to understand many things uh, that happen in the Bible and shows and confirms lining up with the, with the Scripture. 
And one thing that the article, that we have to be a little bit careful because some of the, the way that the, this particular article was worded about it, like it said that the professor, one of the professors that was involved with this, said that, explained that these inscriptions are the earliest manuscripts of the Bible. Wait a minute. <laughs> no, they're not the earliest manuscripts of the Bible. Okay, they merely are helping us understand, you know, again, confirming what God's word says, but these are things that were written by people, not not inspired by God himself, okay? That is separate from these types of things. Yeah, in order to make a claim like that, you've got to believe that the Bible is just a product of man, that Mm -hmm. people were writing these things down, and then maybe later people took those records and compiled them together, and then... For no reason. Yeah, those royal records were the the compilation of what we have as the Bible today, and that got passed on. Um, So... You have to have a, a man-created view of the Bible rather than a God-inspired view of the mm-hmm. Bible to make a claim like that. And we obviously don't believe that that's the case. Yeah, even something that is really interesting, that it's confirming something that it's in the Bible, it still has a worldview that's very humanist, secular. You know, And then we have to be very careful because sometimes when we're reading, we have to be paying attention to those little details because if not, we're just going to buy some of those ideas and those going to be feeding our soul and mind and it, it can bring problems. And nothing that we've ever discovered in archaeology goes against what the Bible says. It always is in confirmation of that. And it's so neat. If you ever have the opportunity to go to Israel, I highly recommend it because it's amazing to even walk through one of the main museums there and just see over and over and over again um, confirmations of the things that um, the Bible tells us about. So. Yeah, and we've even got resources uh, like this book, Evidence for the Bible. This has a lot of the uh, things that are available at the British Museum of Natural History. And uh, you can look through those exhibits and hear um, Pastor Brian Edwards and Clive Anderson walk through those exhibits and look at how all those different pieces point back to the events that happened in the Bible, show you who those pharaohs were, who those kings of the different uh, kingdoms were that are interacting with uh, Israel at the time and the different passages of scripture that are connected to them. A very fascinating uh, piece of literature here to connect all those pieces together. Yeah. All right, next story. Um, UK woman arrested for praying near abortion center warns more arrests may come. So this happened uh, just shortly before uh, Christmas. So a British woman was arrested near a Birmingham, England abortion center. Now she was outside. This abortion center was closed at the time. Keep that in mind. And she was praying silently. Okay, she was not praying out loud, but according to a new, um, basically, rule that they have there, a law that they have there, they have a censorship zone, which is called a PSPO, a public square protection order around um, certain areas, like this abortion center, to prevent um, protesting, um, but it also names things like prayer and counseling, that those are forms of protesting, so that you cannot do those around abortion centers, at least in the UK. Yeah, you said that uh, she was around 150 meters, right? Which is 450, uh, 450 480 feet or so. Yeah, yeah, 480 feet away from the area. The clinic were, was closed. She was praying silence. She was not protesting. She didn't have anything in her hand, you know, like doing um, anything. She was just, just, just there. And then the police officer came and asked her what she was doing, that she was protesting. She said, no, I'm not protesting. And then he asked, are you praying? 
And then she said, you know, yeah, that she was silently praying. And because of that, she got arrested. And, um, and now she's in trouble because she, she has face, yeah, yeah, she three years. She jail time for this. For three years. This yeah. was a, a local ordinance as far as we can discern from this right. article. But this has also been discussed on a broader scale in the UK. And I listened to a podcast that was a dialogue between... Uh, a member of the Alliance Defending Freedom in the UK and the BPAS, which is roughly equivalent to what we would think of as Planned Parenthood here in America. And they were discussing uh, the the usefulness of this type of law and and arguing these things back and forth. Uh, It was a bit discouraging to me as uh, this clearly a Christian ADF person was not willing to talk about um, uh, calling abortion murder and, and dealing with those types of things and the offensiveness uh, that abortion is in that sense um, and really kind of soft-pedaling a lot of those types of issues. Uh, the, the psychological harm that was coming to people who were being confronted by uh, these uh, counselors on the sidewalk, as they're often called, who are trying to share truth. Uh, they talked about uh, older women passing out baby booties to people. Think about your your baby, who you're about to murder or kill, as they're going into the clinics and those types of things that are bringing trauma to the women. Uh, well, that's the type of information that's often not communicated inside of those areas. They're not going to talk about killing the child. They're not mm-hmm. going to use that type of language. And it's important for us as Christians to communicate those moral truths that can prick the conscience, that can point uh, to the, the wrong that's being done there. Yeah, show, show the reality, because that's the reality. You're just not talking. It's just not your opinion. You are murdering a child, you know, cutting... It just destroying a life, and and that's just uh, it's, it's just terrible. And it's I, I thought it was interesting that they use a censorship zone, mm-hmm. as you can now you have now the right to say, hey, this zone can be in censorship. Hey, censorship sh- should not be done anywhere. Yeah, we've anywhere. seen we've seen similar things in the U.S. where there's zones where you can't be, but to say that you can't think certain things yes. and be praying in your mind in this area is a whole level of concern. And even this, this lady who was arrested noted that uh, some pro-choice advocates right. yes. were concerned and, and about And everyone that. should be concerned about this. Mm-hmm. I mean, and it was interesting, like Roger said, some of the pro-choice people were actually coming to this woman's defense because if they can censor this, where yeah. do they stop, right? When, when it's just man-based, it's just completely arbitrary then for people to decide what is right, what is wrong, what can be said, and what, sh- what can't be said. And if we draw the line at 150 meters, mm-hmm. why can't we draw it at the right. borders of our land? Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. Yeah. and it starts like it that. Anywhere. It's 150 200 and then a mile and then it's going to go 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 and then there's no there's no limit right and we need to you know one of the things with with anything like this i mean we want to help these women who are going into these places to know that god loves them and that god loves their baby and that we will help them and and not just that we don't it's not just about the baby it's about them as a human being that we care about them and we genuinely want them to make a different choice um, so we, we need to be having compassion and mercy. And obviously this woman said that, you know, th- that women have talked to her as a result of her just like standing there and praying um, and that she has helped counsel women to not abort. And that's a, that's a real, that's a blessing. That is something yeah. that we should want to see to save lives. And when I read this article, um, the passage that came to mind was Daniel, you know, when he was kind of faced with something very similar. And um, I wanted to read Daniel 6.10. This is when um, the 
the document have basically been prepared. They said you can't worship anybody but the king, all right? And it says when Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. He knew full well that that was not, that he was going against the law, but we follow God's laws, right? And God's commands over and above man's. When they conflict, God always wins, yes. right? He, he's the one that wins and he's the one that we serve and obey first and foremost. Yeah, I was just man. reading in Acts 4 this morning and right. that's the same situation there. Uh, the apostles are told that they're not to go and preach in the name of Jesus. And their response is, if you decide whether it's right for uh, for us to obey God or to obey man, but we're going to do what God says. Yeah, and two, sorry, two things that uh, I think it's interesting in that verse is, first, um, it's so similar what Daniel went through, what Christians are going through. So similar. You know, it's the same thing. And then we see that it's, it's not a battle against people. It's a, it's a God, you know, they want to stop God's word, but we know that that's not good. And Americans say it ain't happening. Yeah. That's the thing. Yeah. She's I'm not, Brazilian, yeah, I'm, so. from, I'm Brazilian. So yeah, she, she ain't from yeah. around here. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes, that's true. All and, right. Scientists created male and female cells from a single person. Now, before everyone gets freaked out about this, um, <laughs> so, I'm a so let me explain a little bit what happened here. Um, so, um, and the reason that I thought this article was kind of important, because I think from a truly scientific standpoint, this is actually really important and really kind of cool. Um, and so let me explain why. So, um, so one of the things that's hard to study when it comes to sex chromosomes is that um, only obviously guys have XY and girls have XX. So if you're trying to compare the effect of a drug or trying to understand the cause of a disease, it's really hard in some ways because a male and a female, like if you were to compare Roger and I's DNA, they're going to be really different because we have different parents. And so we don't know if what's happening is because of the sex chromosomes or is because of the rest of the chromosomes, okay? And there could be hormone differences right. and all There's those things even between, within the sex environment. We don't know. We're too different. So we just, more than just on a male and female basis, but on all these other bases. So it's hard to study. So it would be great to have cell lines from the same person that had both XX, or some cells had XX, and another cell line that had XY, and all the other chromosomes are the same. Everything else is the same. That's cool, because in science, you want, when you study things, you want them to have one variable. <laughs> you don't want a bunch yeah. of variables, because then it's too hard to tease out what's causing the issue or what's causing the effect. And so this is really great. Now, how they did this um, is basically it was an individual who had Klinefelter syndrome. And Klinefelter syndrome occurs in males. Um, they have two X's and one Y. So they're XXY. Um, but they are considered males and they just have reduced um, secondary sex characteristics. So this individual was even more rare in that some of his cells were XX and some of his cells were XY. So they were able to isolate those and create cell lines. So these are in a dish. These are not individuals, okay, or anything like that. They're not human beings. They're just cell lines. And then they're able to take these cell lines and induce them to become nerves or muscle cells or fat cells or whatever. Again, this is not embryonic stem cells. This has nothing to do with that. But then they can study um, and compare them and know how the sex chromosomes are having an effect on that, which from a scientific standpoint is really, really cool mm -hmm. and neat that they can do that. 
So when we think about examining all of these different pieces, um, it's kind of the gold standard in science to be able to have that isolated situation. Um, in mice, we have these knockout mice where we can pick these specific genes and, and target them very specifically. Uh, so this gives that opportunity to do that type of research. Um, so when I'm teaching students in the, in the high school labs, we're always trying to talk about minimizing our variables and get to that point. Um, so if we, can, if we can do this in a, in a situation where we have a, a voluntary individual donating those cell lines and we don't have to deal with that ethical dilemma of destroying embryos and, and working through all of those things, um, that's a great advantage. Um, the caution we, of course, have to, to put out there is what do we do when people move that oh, line right. and, and start working uh, with these things in ways that become unethical. And that's something we've got to be aware of anytime we're dealing with this type of research and working with those. Uh, but having these these lines available is going to be uh, a great opportunity to evaluate those things. And it does show us too, over and <laughs> this, this over in really this article, it's very clear that there are two <laughs> sexes. Two not more than two, right? They didn't create other cell lines. They just created two because <laughs> that's all there is, it's right? It's almost X-X. like God made male, male and female, female huh. right from the very beginning, you, and that's yeah. all there is. You cannot get away from it. From a biblical standpoint, certainly it's clear. But also from a scientific standpoint, that's clear. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought it was really interesting at the beginning of the article. They said... Um, most most people have two sex chromosomes. Now, there are some that have more, but those sure. are abnormalities, right? Those aren't normal. Either two Xs or an X and a Y, which give rise to male or female biological attributes on a spectrum. And I'm like, wait a minute, what? No, they <laughs> don't. That's just, again, that's totally yeah. false, okay, that idea. And, and there are abnormalities. There are abnormal chromosomal conditions that occur. But you never argue from the abnormal for the normal, mm-hmm. okay? That's not something that is a good line of argumentation. The most we can do. find a spectrum of is the amount of testosterone or estrogen. Right. They're going to be, some of those hormones are going to be present, but But no, not dramatic. It's male or so. female. Yeah, yeah. And Gabby here, she just found out. She has two boys. Yeah, and now I'm having a girl. Right, and she knows the difference. (laughs) uh, Yeah, yeah, I know the difference, and I'm going to know even more when she's born. Yeah, totally, totally different. But yeah, that is just so interesting because they use the word spectrum, and then we can see right there the worldview plane. They haven't found anything like that, but the data was just like male and female, but they use the word spectrum just to add up the possibility of the idea of having something uh, different. So that's why you have transgender and this and that. So it just, all those details when we read papers and newspapers and all those kind of stuff, we have to be aware of them because if not, we're just going to start buying those ideas. Right, right. Okay, the LGBT alphabet lobby has come for its own women. All right, so this is... Um, something I've been saying a lot recently is that really what's happening in society at large, at least, is they're trying to erase women. It really is a war on women because if men can become women, (laughs) um, then essentially, which they can't, but that's the common thinking, then it essentially, you know, it erases, they even have redefined what woman and man mean in the dictionaries now. And so, um, and we need, really need to understand, this is talking about a, a lesbian artist in Norway 
who is facing up to three years in prison for saying men cannot be lesbians. Wait a minute. She's lesbian. She is. She is lesbian. And then she's just saying men cannot be lesbians. You mean a man can't say he's a woman and say he's attracted to women and then say he's a lesbian? (laughs) What's wrong with that? That seems totally normal. Yeah. Well, and that's why we said that when you look at the the letters, okay, the LGBT, the L and the G really cannot coexist with the T. Mm-hmm. It doesn't work. Yeah. Right? Lesbian and, gay cannot be with right. the They're cannibalizing gay. their own. That's what we say. They're eating their own yeah. <laughs> um, because of this. And, and another woman in Norway, again, this is hate speech basically now. For them. Because she said... She's a feminist, and she said men cannot be mothers, and she's facing up to three years in prison for saying that. But you know what? It's interesting. If any man would go through a labor pain, (laughs) through morning sickness, (laughs) through uh, uh, their period, a period that women has, none of them, I promise you, none of them wanted to be a woman (laughs) at all, at all. Yeah. It's it's. I had I had the flu once. (laughs) Oh, poor man! He almost died. (laughs) But but it is sad to see that the type of censure, like we said, you can't pray outside an abortion clinic now silently. You can't say basic facts, right? Basic scientific facts, biblical facts, without being facing prison, facing punishment. Yeah, for but there's things. no consistency in both of these worldviews, we think, arising out of a humanistic philosophy. Mm-hmm. But if there's no identity in, that grounds that, we're not made in the image of God, male and female, we can be whatever we want to, then the feminist who wants to exalt women and the the LGBT, whichever piece of that you identify as wants to exalt this or that, they're going to wind up in conflict with one another, even though they start with the same presumptive worldview of humans or man is the measure of all things is their, their starting point. They're going to wind up butting heads and crashing against each other all the time. And they're going to devour themselves and wind up in that chaos. We've got to go back to the authority of God's word and base all our thinking off of that. And it's only there that we're going to find truth and hope and be able to point these people to the hope and the healing and the redemption that we can find in Christ that the gospel offers for us. They even have a new term now, trans-exclusionary radical feminist. I have no idea. Yeah, what yeah. that means. No so idea. So that's a feminist who thinks that, again, basically the idea that men cannot be women and should not be women and claim to be women and all of those things. And so, again, even, like I say, they're cannibalizing themselves. They're eating their own because those those two things are completely contrary to one of the L and G and the T. And so mm. we're seeing that now. So it's interesting. It shows their inconsistencies is what it does. So some good news, okay, because we don't want to be all bad news here. Kirk Cameron will hold story hours at two libraries after threat of legal action. So um, I'm sure many of you are familiar with the drag queen story hours, sadly, that have been in the news a lot that happened at public libraries. So Kirk Cameron wrote a book on the fruits of the spirit, and he wanted to present that at a library, which 
if the library allows the others, the drag queen story hour, why shouldn't it allow him to do the same, you know, to have a program where he reads a book? And so he was denied, though, by these two libraries, one in New York and one in Indianapolis. And um, so he went, so he, they threatened legal action, and um, they allowed him to do this at both of those libraries. And in Indianapolis, he had over 2,500 people show up. I saw up the videos, and the they had to go outside and seat them on the steps, and it was yeah. a massive crowd yeah that's really cool and we were talking about like how many people go to the the drag uh queen hour and those kind of stuff and of course we all know that it's not going to even get close to that number 2500 people at all you know and it just shows that it's so good to see people supporting this idea and and helping to uh, to support the, the possibility of letting other Christians to, right. to also tell stories. Yeah, there have been a few other uh, local pastor, um, Michael Foster, who did this here in the Cincinnati area, and Owen Strand. I just saw a tweet from him today uh, about him doing that in Arkansas. Uh, so there are opportunities uh, for you to look for um, these uh, ways that your local libraries or community centers, ways you can do this in your community. Um, look for ways to donate good Christian books to your library systems, and they can get into those systems. Um, you know here at AIG we love to equip people with those resources. We've mm -hmm. got tons of those types of things. Uh, we've got books like uh, here are A is for Adam book, a great reading book that you can use to connect those truths of the Bible, help kids understand those things. There's a video version of that that, that reads through that for the kids as well. Um, lots of great resources. So these are ways that we can, um, as Kirk mentions here in the article, get off of the defense and get on the offense. We're communicating those truths to the culture, and it's that's how um, these, these battles are going to be won, is as the gospel is shared, individual hearts and minds are going to be transformed, and they're going to go on and raise their families in godliness, and we're going to see that continuing to spread. And it's, it's God's word that is going to go forth and flourish. Um, not all our political speech and, and all of those wonderful things, we want to, we value those things, but it's the gospel that we need to be putting forward and cherishing the most. All right, um, the other paleo diet, the rare discovery of dinosaur remains preserved with its last meal. Okay, so um, Gabby here is a paleontologist, so I wanted to look at this article because this is studying microraptor, um, and basically what they found was the foot of a rodent um, inside microraptor, and they hadn't known that this particular organism I'll let you explain what it is. Okay. Um, that it uh, that it ate uh, mammals. Okay. They didn't think that it ate it ate all these kinds of different things. Now they describe Microraptor as a bird-like dinosaur with four wings. So is it a dinosaur? And it was yeah no, <laughs> no not at all. The first thing that I thought it was funny because hey the other paleo diet. I am on a diet, and then I was like oh that's cool. They got another <laughs> diet here. Let me check what it is. And they're talking about Microraptor. Um, I thought it was interesting they're not using the word theropod because it's normally what they use. Theropod is the term. Uh, the word theropod was change. It was the meaning of this word was change. Before it was just dinosaurs, okay? Just dinosaurs, carnivores, dinosaurs. And then after um, sometime 1986, they start having the meaning of the word theropod as birds and dinosaurs together. So that's why many times they use the word, oh, we found a theropod, but it has feathers. 
doesn't mean that it's a dinosaur. It means that it's a bird. But because the word theropod was changed, now they can apply to anything. Well, Microraptor is definitely a bird. Uh, that's a conclusion that we have uh, come to. And Fiducia, it's a very, he's a secular scientist. He's not a, crea- uh, a Christian or creation scientist. And he's an evolutionist, too. He's a, yeah, I mean, he's, he's an evolutionist. A, yeah, he's a big evolutionist. And he, he believed that m- many of those things that they're calling dinosaurs with feathers, it's not dinosaurs. It's actually birds. And this animal has a lot of features of bird, but they keep calling it dinosaur. Why? This is the worldview playing here because they want to have this idea of dinosaurs turning into birds. But we, we see in the in anatomy of the animal, you know, the, 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 the feathers are perfect, just like birds, the ones that we see today. It's not a, it's not a dinosaur at all. It is a bird. Yeah. And she's written, she's written on this extensively, and so you can check out articles on our website mm-hmm. about that that explain that in more detail. Okay, so just a couple of things to uh, finish up here. So coming up, um, we have a lot of educational programs that we offer here at the Creation Museum and the Ark Encounter, and um, uh, Roger here is a major part in um, all of offering those offerings, and we have our high school labs at the Creation Museum that are um, labs throughout the school year. So if you're a homeschooled student um, and you need those labs to finish up in high school and, and have that, then we offer that. Why don't you give us a little, you know, blurb on that, so to speak. So we currently offer chemistry, physics, environmental science, uh, forensics, and biology. Uh, those different uh, opportunities, you come every couple weeks uh, for two labs, a morning and afternoon session, uh, in the fall and in, in the winter springtime and you're basically going to get all the labs that you would get at a typical public school setting. Uh, we've got all the equipment, all the glassware. Um, we, I teach you how to blow stuff up safely. <laughs> the parents are not going to bring the kids up. now. <laughs> no, we, um, we have the equipment, lots of technology that we use, uh, the expertise to be able to teach those things that are going to equip you, especially students who are looking to go on to college and, and do yeah. those types of things. Uh, just a wonderful opportunity. Uh, we've been blessed with donors who have been so generous to give us lab facilities here and down at the Ark. Uh, so we get to pass that opportunity on to the families who come here. And then the and then we have versions also at the mm-hmm. ARC, um, and one of those, um, we have lab intensive. So if you don't live close and you can't come throughout the school year, you can come for one week, and you're going to get those 15 basic essential labs that yep. you need. Um, so next summer, we're offering biology, chemistry, forensics, and anatomy and physiology. Um, so you come for a week, and you get that. And so it's a, it's a great opportunity, and um, we love, I got to teach in it last year, I got to teach microbiology. Uh, and what a wonderful opportunity to be able to work in groups. I always say, too, science is done collaboratively, so this gives um, students the opportunity to do that. And we also have coming up this summer our camps. So these are day camps, week-long day camps for both um, students ages 11 to 18, but also this year we have a three-day junior camp for the first time for kids ages 5 to 10. And so they'll get exposure to a lot of different um, topics like biology, zoology, uh, botany, you know, all different kinds 
kinds of things throughout the week. Uh, so we encourage you to go to either the Ark Encounter or Creation Museum website, click on the education tab at the top of the page, and it will let you see all the different opportunities that we have here. And again, we really want children to understand um, a biblical worldview, what that means, and how to understand science from a biblical worldview. So we are out of time for today, so we'll see you back here next week.